Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges they face. It's good to be back, man. It's good to be back in Utah. For sure, Austin. We've had a long weekend. I know it's not home for you quite yet. You've got another couple of days, but uh, that was that was pretty intense few days. 18-hour days, would you say, or so? Shook a lot of hands, had a lot of great conversations. Oh, easy. Those are easy. Yeah. I I do enjoy meeting people in the wellness community. They just, you know, you share hearts and passion uh, for keeping the first responder community. That was a specific law enforcement uh, event and so many great people uh, running around there. But uh, man, today we got a we got a good one today. Oh, absolutely. And in, in talking about the wellness community and, you know, people that have uh, fought the hard fight. Uh, right on on to the other side of the journey uh we super grateful to introduce our friend kyle here uh known kyle for a little over a year um had some good conversations and you know kind of kept in touch you know and i'm excited to get you on like i i know that uh i think i've asked you a couple of different times in different ways and you're always like yeah sure no problem and uh, super glad to nail him down today for this. Welcome on, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, we're super glad to have you. Uh, a little bit about you, just the short version. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, uh, where you work, where you're at. Tell the listeners uh, a little bit about Kyle. Yeah, uh, I'm from the Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis area. I uh, grew up there. I've um, been a firefighter for the last 18 years. And I retired from the Air Force Reserves um, in June of last year. I started in active duty after high school, and and after my first uh, my first stint in active duty four years, I transitioned to the reserves. Came home, uh, started doing the reserve thing, and started kind of going to school. And uh, met my our our current fire chief. Um, now that for the city that I work for, met him at the gym and he saw me out at the air force base and he asked me what I was doing. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to school and told me I should go take this test. And, um, so I went and took the test and it was, I didn't think I was going to get hired. There was 3,500 people at this test for, I don't know. I mean, our, the first class, when I was in that first class, there was 30 of us. I was hired in the first class. and But when I went to the test, it was, you know, there's guys wearing fire jackets. And there's, you know, you can tell there's people there that have fire experience. And I don't have, I don't even know, you know, anything about the fire service. And I was going to leave. And then I, you know, I was like, well, I paid for this application. I might as well stay in see if I can get hired. And I was hired right away. And here you are 18 years later. Here I am. Here you are. Do you think that, I mean, this is just a thought process here. Do you think that when, when you applied and they were looking at hiring you on, like maybe those guys that already had the, 
experience were actually let me rephrase that they they wanted to mold someone right so they wanted someone with no experience so that they could train you in a way that they thought was appropriate yeah um i think though that a lot of the like for our city it's you know you take the test and you take a written test and then you take a physical test and then you get points for being in the military and so you're put on a list and they just take off that list and so you know it really depends on where you're ranked Gotcha. Um, there was guys in my academy that had tons of fire experience, but there was also, you know, people like me that didn't, didn't, you know, have any experience at all. So now, how old were you uh, when, when this is, uh, 24 and that's pretty young. I feel like it's pretty young for, to get on full-time fire. Um, there was like, there was like two guys in my class that were younger than me, but most of the guys that you guys and gals that you see getting hired are in their thirties. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's just emotional maturity. Maybe I don't know. I th- I think well, like back back when I was hired, I think it was like it was very hard to get. It was a competitive job to get, you know, to get hired as a firefighter. And today it's a little different. Um, we're we're seeing a lot less applicants. Yeah, the the I, I think the recruitment rabbit hole is is a dangerous one to go down. I think everybody fights yeah. that currently in our culture, you know, in the law enforcement side, the fire side, yep. the recruitment. But uh, um, so the Air Force, what what were you doing in the Air Force prior to coming in? Let's let's kind of yeah back up there a little yeah. bit. To- I was an aircraft mechanic. Okay, uh, I went. Um, I worked in C one thirties and A tens. Oh yeah, and. Uh, when I got, I went to, um, I was stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, or that's, I was stationed at Pope Air Force Base, but sure. everyone knows where Fort Bragg is. Yeah. Pope Air Force Base is actually closed down. So I was working on C-130s and A-10s and I think, I don't know, I, I wasn't old enough to drink yet. I was probably, I don't know, 19, 19 or 20 when I came into work one day and they were like, Hey, pack your stuff. You're, you're leaving. You're going to they didn't even tell me where I was going. They just said, pack your stuff. And we were, um, we were in the processing line and these guys I was with it, I was deploying with, they had deployed before and they were giving us like EpiPens and stuff. And they were like, these guys I was with, they were like, they've never given us this stuff before. And so that's kind of when I knew like, this isn't, you know, this is a little bit different than something's up. Yeah. And so then they brought us all in a room and what year was this? That was 2003. Okay. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The world was a much different yep. place, and there was a lot of things going on politically and nationally. And Yep. Yeah. When I left for basic training, we had started uh, invading Afghanistan that the night before I, I left for basic. So, I actually had signed up for the Air Force. Um, it was the spring of 2001. And then I wasn't going to leave until October. So I worked all summer and then. So you, you knew that you wanted to do this before yep. everything in the world yeah. had happened at that point. Yeah. And then September 11 happened and I just, I obviously knew that my whole experience of the military had changed. And so, um, yeah, so I, I went, uh, I went to Kuwait. We went to Kuwait stayed there for like a month and then I think it was maybe a, not less than a, a little less than a month that I had been there that we started um invading and 
And then I was part of the first, since I was working on A-10s, I was part of the first squadron that landed in Iraq and flew missions out of Iraq. So we were kind of the first, you know, there was obviously there was many, I was in the Air Force, so there's a lot of Army and Marines in front of us, but we were the first Air Force kind of that, that, you know, landed and and flew missions out of Iraq. Yeah. So. So uh, obviously... Your military experience prior to that, how many how many times how many deployments? Uh, let's just narrow that down. Just so two, two deployments. Yep. Yeah. Nine months prior to hiring on. Seven seven months. Um, actually, my my last deployment was actually while I was a St. Paul firefighter. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Iraq was when I was on active duty, and then uh, two thousand ten. Uh, 2011, I deployed one more time, um, and I was working full time on the in the fire service then. And at that point, when I joined, uh, I transitioned into the reserves. Um, when I got out of active duty, and when I got hired at full time fire, I I switched to fire in the in the reserves. Okay. So I was doing fire for both, you know, the military and as civilian. Okay. Uh, what uh, kind of, I mean, because you're from the Twin Cities area, correct? Yeah. What kind of a culture shock was that for you, going from Midwest to Middle East? It was, yeah, it was, it was, di- it was different. I, it gave me a really good appreciation of, of how good we have it when I came home. I mean, it was, I just, I just remember like getting home and being so thankful for everything that I had and. Sure. And, it, you know, it just, it's a lot different over there. Perspective. Yeah. Right. It gives you perspective on, on things that are so basic here, right? Like just being able to go get a soda or, yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. Hmm. Now, not knowing your story, has, has this journey of the impact of trauma in your life already begun? Or is this? Yeah. When I was a kid, I, my dad, you know, I don't know if he'll, he'll hear this or not, but he was very young when I was born. He was, I think, right out of high school and. He just lived his twenties like, like he didn't have any kids, you know, kind of. And he was, you know, he was working and stuff, but he was, you know, he partied a lot, and and then he got into crack, and he just disappeared for days, and and uh, you know, I worried worried me a lot. And then he'd come home, and I'd help him pick the pieces up, and and then he'd do it again. And it was, you know, sometimes it'd be like six months, and sometimes it'd be like a year and a half. But that continued even after I got out of active duty. And I remember, you know, after I got out of active duty and there was one of the times that it had happened. And I remember, you know, I he had kind of started to tell me where he went. And so when he he disappeared and I, I went down to Minneapolis and I I was like in the worst part of Minneapolis. And I'm, I saw a cop and I was like, I walked over and I was like, hey, do you know, do you know where the where the uh, busiest crack houses are. And this cop looks at me and I'm like, I'm looking for my dad, you know? And he's like, you need to go home. Like this, this can't end well. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, um, he eventually just, I don't know. He, he just kind of drifted away from it. So he, he still drinks, not a lot. I wouldn't say a couple of drinks every now and then, but he just, I don't know if, I don't know how it happened, but he didn't, it wasn't like a treatment thing. It was just, I don't know if he matured or what it was, but he he 
got wise and stopped doing what he was doing. So with your dad doing the things that he was doing, did that strengthen the relationship you had with your mom? Or? Um, yeah, I, my mom was, we had, you know, my brother and sister as well. And, you know, at that point my parents are divorced and she's trying to run a new brand new business. And so it was hard for her to, it was, I was still really like probably closer to my dad. Like, cause I just, I was, I was with him all the time. So I think it, that's why probably it, it affected me more. Um, so, so clearly that, well, I don't know how clearly it is. Maybe it's not that clear. You've begun a life of service already just in your, yeah, you know, teenage, maybe adolescent years and you've already started to serve something or someone else. And that's obviously carried over to military. Um, so let me fast forward back to, well, a little tidbit here. So I got to meet your beautiful wife yeah. at lunch today. Are you now this point, I'll bring us back to this point of getting hired on the fire service. Are you married at this point for you? Uh, no, I was single when I okay. got hired. Okay. So back to kind of circle us back to, you get on, uh, you got on the fire industry, you're, you're wet behind the ears. You're a new guy, 24 years old fire. Let's, where do, where do we go from here? Actually, um, right out, right out of the academy. I had some time off. I was on vacation and I met my wife right out of the academy and kind of been together ever since. So, um, yeah, so we, my, it's a long story, but my, my wife owns a dance studio. My mom owns a dance studio. Uh, Kara's, my wife's dad owned a dance studio before my, you know, my wife and they own a business together now, but my mom used to work for them. And so I went to a dance competition and my mom reintroduced us because we would, we were together when we were, you know, around each other when we were kids, but I don't remember, but we were reintroduced as adults. That's a cool, that's That's a a really cool story. story. Yeah. 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 It's just one of those, like, that's a, got a little fairy tale story right there. You know, someone you knew from young age and do you still dance with you two still dance? No, she, I mean, she teaches and yeah. runs a business and I, I drive the props all over the country. And you just dance with the fire guys? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, um, I do, a, I do a lot of stuff for the studio as well, but. And that's why you've been through Utah multiple times. Yeah. I remember having this conversation yeah. with you a couple of times, especially with the one restaurant in Heber. It's a, you should tell Brad that yeah, story. We, so I, I drove to Vegas. I don't know how many times I drove to Vegas and. Every time I drove through Utah, I'd drive through this town and I'd be like, I want to live here. It's beautiful. And, and I, there was a, the first time I drove through, there was a restaurant and it was really busy cause it's, you know, it's summer. And, and so I stopped there and, and so every time I drove through, I'd stop there, they had good food and, and I was always by myself. And so when I ended up back here and, in, in, you know, at the Chateau, I, I started thinking, I wonder where I drive through. Utah I, I just couldn't remember and and I don't know I was here for a few weeks and I look over we were going to the gym or something and I look over and there's the restaurant the Dairy King it's right there you know on the main street there and um so I you know I'd been he- through here a few times so it's kind of weird that's awesome in the back here yeah that's a cool little story Great when you story. told me that story Great I'm story. like that's destined yeah. 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 Destiny has stepped in the way and made sure that uh, you got what you needed there. Yeah. Another burger from Dairy King. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm sure there's a semblance of uh, 
comfort that comes from knowing I've been here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So, so back yeah. on, sorry, go. So back on the, we're take, chasing rabbit here. <laughs> so back on, we're, we're 24 years old, new, we've met our future wife. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your career. So the career then goes. Yeah. So I, um, I had been on about a year and then I went to medic paramedic school and bit into a station. Um, I was living in St. Paul, bit into a station with a medic rig and, uh, worked, you know, worked in the back, um, as a medic for seven, I think it was seven years. I worked at the same station and then, uh, and then promoted really early. So I was, you know, I was pretty young when I got hired and then I promoted to captain. I was, I was actually, um, on my last deployment, I was, I knew I was going to be taking the test when I came home. And so I was working 24 on 24 off in, in Oman. That was where I was deployed to. And I, every day I had off, I'd sit there and study and I didn't really, I guess I, I wasn't expecting to get promoted. I just, I wanted to take the test for the experience and then promote the next time. And then of course I studied so much that I did well. And then I got promoted and I was only 30, 30 years old promoted a captain. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I don't know if that was, maybe that was part of culturally, were you taking a little bit of, you know, some, some heat from that, from, from your peers, were you, no, I think you're, you're, most everyone was really awesome. I mean, I, I didn't work with anyone that pushed back. I, and I, and I don't know. I, I think, you know, some people change when they get into those roles and I didn't really change much. I, you know, I, I always, I mean, you know, you can ask other people, but I always thought of myself as a pretty laid back leader. And as long as we're getting the job done, um, I'm not too concerned about, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a micromanager. I, you know, I, I think it's a team. I, I really believe in the team concept. And so if you have a better than, idea than I do, then tell me and we'll, you know, and I, and I, I don't pretend to know everything either. Um, I, I always leaned a, a lot on those guys that had more experience than me because, because they, they've seen more. So you actually exude that. You actually, we were talking about that on the way over. Just that's I. I just met you today, and you really, you kind of, you kind of pour that out. I'm, I'm laid back. Thanks. Very. There's like an aura of calmness around you. I think you very, can hear it too very, in your voice. It's just that, you know, confident you, calmness. Yeah. yeah. Like you kind of, you don't have those high highs and those low lows necessarily in stressful situations or, you know, things like that. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think. I think you're spot on. I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to assess yourself in, in that way, but I think I, I don't know. I just always, I didn't want to be that guy that was in, that was that, you know, everyone, I don't know. I just wanted to be someone that people wanted to work for. Yeah. And people, know? people respect that kind of person. Right. Yeah. And so did you ever get any backlash from your superior officers for being too easy on people or? No, I, you know, I think people when they're when they like who they're working for, they they don't do stuff that's gonna get them pinched. You know, like yeah. so, I, and that's kind of how I I was towards my people that I worked for. You know, I I didn't I wanted to do good by them, and so 
And so, um, they were always, you know, really laid back. That's kind of how I was always supervised. And so I was always doing my best to make them look good. And so. Awesome. And so career's going really well. Yeah. You're starting a family. Yeah. Right. Where's life going from here? Well, when I went, when I came back from Oman, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. Something switched when I was in it. Nothing happened in Oman. I didn't, I think we went on, you know, I, I went to Oman cause I wanted some, some more fire experience in the reserves and mm-hmm. I wanted to feel like I was doing something for the military still. And so I went, I, 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 uh, volunteered to go to Oman and I think we went on seven runs while I was there, seven months, seven runs. I mean, it was pretty bad. We, I witnessed a, an aircraft, um, crash landing but it wasn't, you know, anything traumatic. I don't know what happened, but when I came home, I just started having issues, just depressed, suicidal ideation, just I it just it just all started coming at me. And that was around the time that I got promoted, so I don't know. I don't know if it was the pressure that I was putting on myself cuz I I think I, I you know, I am kind of a I don't want to say a perfectionist, but I wanted I always want to do well. And so when I got promoted, I was, I was nervous, you know, I was young and yeah, want to do well. So we got to think about it. You have some things from your childhood, right? Military career, multiple years in the fire service. I mean, that, that to me seems like a buildup right? of traumatic incidents or just life and things that have happened. And had you ever received any type of therapy or anything like that before this? No. So you're just dealing with it yourself. Yep. Yep. And just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess when I came home, I was, you know, I, I guess I don't know how I was dealing with it. I just, I knew I didn't feel well and Kara and I had talked about it and it wasn't, it wasn't until, you know, after you deploy the military, they do these questionnaires they'll send you these questionnaires and how are you doing like how much you're drinking you know and and everyone lies uh you know I'm doing great I don't drink you know and I don't know what it was but there was one day they sent me that thing and I was at 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 the reserve base and and I just I was like screw it I'm just gonna tell the truth and I told the whole truth and and I was down at the clinic within an hour and then I'm getting shipped up to um, Grand Forks to see a psychiatrist, and and that's when I started to get help. Yeah. So at the same time, I'm getting help, and they're making me go see a doctor. I get him get on meds, start seeing a you know a therapist. But then they start. I start feeling like they're trying to kick me out. So it's like a catch twenty two. You you tell them that you need help, but then you, they're here's the backlash. Yeah. From like you that. can't now I'm not deployable. I'm on a waiver and you know, they're talking about me being, you know, done with the reserves. And, and so that was kind of why I never wanted to tell them, you know, I was nervous and that's why a lot of guys and girls, gals, um, 
I think it's getting better, but I think a lot of times there people are lying because they don't they they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to get kicked out, or they don't want they don't want the military to know what you know what they're dealing with. Of course. So for timeline wise, you're at what age are you now? Um, I'm 30, 31. 31. Yeah. And how many kiddos at this point? Uh, two. Two kiddos. Yeah. So what is that looking like at home for, for the listeners? What, what, what kind of things, if you don't mind sharing, what's, what's going on really at home? I'm not, I'm not present, uh, you know, angry. I'm not at that point. I'm not like drinking all the time. Like, like the reason that I ended up in Utah, but at that point I'm just, I, I'm just stressed out and not really present and not being, or I feel like not really being a good dad, just not, I don't know, just not, um, I don't know what the, the word, I'm, I'm just not present and not disconnected. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. That, okay. And depressed and, and not okay. really getting engaged. Feed, you're getting feedback from your wife. Yeah. 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 So let's keep, let's keep going. Then, um, you're getting this, you know, this real push. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, yep. but from, from the reserve side, what's going on at work with, uh, now that you're, now yeah. that you're back. Um, so now I'm, you know, now I'm a captain and, and I'm still working on a medic rig mm-hmm. and I think the run started to get to me a little bit more when, when I got into that supervisor role, because now I felt like those whatever happened on that run was more my responsibility than when, when I was working in the back, it just seemed like it bounced off me a lot easier. Sure. But when I was, you know, overall in charge of the, those runs and I'm making those decisions, it just seemed like it was like stuff would get to me more. Um, and so I'm seeing a therapist and most of the stuff that we, I would talk about with my therapist was from my childhood. We never really, never really brought up much of the runs and, you know, stuff from work, but, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm on meds and I'm just starting to feel better. And then I go off the meds and I go back down and it's just a roller coaster. And that, and it, that just went on for years. Um, I feel better and then I'd feel worse and, go on the meds, go off the meds. It wasn't healthy and it, it wasn't, I wasn't getting better. I think people naturally do that though. Like that, I, I hear that a ton, which is like, oh, this stuff is work and I don't want to be, you know, quote unquote stuck taking a pill for the rest of my life. Like I'm, I'm going to get off of this and then stuff starts to spiral, get back on the medic. I mean, it's a revolving door. I feel good. So I don't need it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's doing what it's supposed to do, right? And I think all of our goals, uh, at least at this table, is probably not to take medication the rest of our lives, right? Like, we want to do the introspective work in order to get on the other side of whatever our, you know, mental health stuff is. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, and I'm I'm also not very responsible with... I'm responsible for for some things in my life, but there's, like, my health is one thing that... Like my mental health was yeah. one thing that I, I wasn't, you know, I, I would forget to take the meds yeah. for a few days or I would, you know, I'd run out and I'd be like, uh, I'll get to it when I get to it. And so it wasn't like I was being consistent with it at all. So, yeah. And it's, 
years of this, right? Yep. So you've you and your family and your career and everything like that. You're you're doing this for years. I mean, are you comfortable sharing the the breaking point, right? Because I I remember some that like yeah, you know, but yeah. I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. Yeah, anymore. no, I, you know, I think I don't know. I think the runs are getting to me, but I'm not really realizing it, I guess. And you know, once you have kids, the kids kid runs get to you more. Yeah. And so, you know, when I came out to, to uh, Utah, um, I actually, I actually asked my wife yesterday if what she thought about me sharing this. Cause it, cause I, it's hard, it's hard to, to say out loud. It's, it just, it sucks. But you know, I, I'd started drinking more and more. I guess what really happened was, I don't want to make it a long story, but I got this offer. I got this, this opportunity to be a fire chief at, for this town, the town that I lived in. And I was like, and I, and when they were like kind of recruiting me and I was like, I don't want to do this. I was, I was a being a, I was a volunteer there and I was like, I don't want to do this. And then, you know, the kids started to grow up and I was like, maybe I, maybe I do want to be home every night. Maybe I, maybe I want to do this. And I was at the same time struggling and stuff and trying to find the answer to my struggles. And so I, I called my chief and I was like, I think I want to do this. And he was like, no, you don't. <laughs> he, he tried to talk me out of it and I should have listened to him, but I didn't. And so I left my full-time fire job and went to this town to be a fire chief and and I was the only full-time employee on the fire department. And I instantly realized that I hated it. Just the relationships that, that I have at work. I think, I think that's like what I love the most about where I work is like just the people that I work with. It's not the job. It's the people. Yeah, it's the brothers and yeah. sisters that yeah. you've gained. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, there was a couple uh, ladies, nice ladies in the office that, uh, that I worked with that were right outside my office and, but they just didn't get my jokes. And, and, uh, I, I was like, I don't know if I can do this for 15 years. The guys on the fire department, they'd show up when there was calls and then we had weekly training. And I, I just realized I, I don't, this isn't for me. And so I, I, I went crawling back to, to my other job and, and they took me back and, so I was working out at training, um, and I was working out at training before I, I went and took the, the chief job, and, and I w- was working out at training when I got back. And so I was home every night, and so I was drinking every night. And when I was on the streets, I was at least had 10 days sober, where I was 20, you know, 24-hour shifts. But I just it just kept piling on, and um, we I went to this... I don't know. I went to like a golf simulator place one day and, uh, we were golfing and the, there was no one there. And the bartender kept asking, Hey, you want another, you want another? And I just, they were going down and I was like, yeah, just keep bringing them or whatever. And pretty soon I'm leaving and driving home and picking the kids up. And that was it. Yeah. I was just very mad at myself that I did that. Kara was at work. And so I, you know, in the moment I'm like, Oh, I can't, can't call her. She's at work. I'm, I'm, I have to go pick the kids up. And so I went pick the kids up and, and, you know, driving them around to their sports and stuff. And that it was just, it was an unacceptable decision that I made. Calling her would 
it being open admittance that you're drunk. You're yep. way, yep. you've drank way too much. Yep. And you're going to hear it from her. Yep. Yep. So, so, you know, I'll, I'll just go do this and sure. And, uh, so it was, I think it was that night when I started sobering up a little bit and Karen knew what I had done cause she had seen me at some point cause I had brought one of the kids to the studio and she saw me, she knew right away. And so I like literally drunk texted my union president and I was like, Hey, I, I'm sick of feeling like this. I'm, I need, I need to do something. And ironically, it's like, I'm on the peer support team and I, I was on the peer support team them then. And ironically, like, I don't reach out to another peer supporter. I reach out to the union president because we have the, the center of excellence, you know, for the, mm -hmm. um, for the union firefighters. And so I just like equated, you know, I just, in my mind, I knew what that place was and I knew it was a union thing. So like, it just seemed like the thing to do was to, to contact the union president because it's a union, you know, treatment center, whatever. So that's like the, you know, that's what, it, that was my train of thought. And I, um, they got me a bed right away, but it was, I was going to have to wait a couple of weeks and someone on the peer support team was they, we had contracted with this chemical dependency specialist and he would work with, he was like a third party and he would work with, um, firefighters, uh, who needed to go to treatment and he would, it was kind of like, you know, you're not working with anyone on the fire department. It's, you know, it's confidential, you know, just easier than working with admin, you know, people don't trust admin and it's, you know, it's, it's a little, seems a little safer for people. Sure. Um, so he calls me and he's like, I told him I have a bed, you know, it's, it's in two weeks. And he's like, that's not, that's not okay. You need to go now. You, we need to find you a place now. I was like, well, it seems fine. Like, he's like, no, you're either going to drink again or you're going to change your mind. And I was like, well, I've been drinking for <laughs> like, yeah. what's, what's the difference? Deal? Yeah. What's yeah. the deal? I mean, I, I probably could have, I, I can see myself, you know, looking back, changing my mind, you know, I'd like stop drinking for a week or two weeks. And you're like, well, I got, you know, I got this in the bag. So I went and saw it, you know, I went and got an assessment and well, you know, Melinda and yeah, she suggested Chateau and, and I, I think I called you yeah, or you called me yep. maybe one of the two. Yeah. And I remember, I just remember, I think, and I don't know if you remember, but I, I said, I said, I already have a bed in Maryland. You know, I'm not shop. I'm not trying to shop around for treatment centers. I just want someone to tell me where to go yeah. and I'll go there and I'll do whatever they tell me to do. And then, and then I'll be better. Right. You know? Yeah, so, that's, that was almost word for word. What Kyle said, by the way. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when we first spoke. Yeah. That's a weird thing about my brain is, is I remember those things and I remember the hotel room, what corner of the bed I was sitting on. And when I dialed your number, and then the conversation that we had. And it was not definitely one of the longer conversations. It was basically that. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. And you guys had a bed mm -hmm. for me sooner. Yeah. And then I kind of said, I, I said, I don't know. Like, tell me what, tell me the differences and, or whatever. And he's like, or you, maybe you said, let me just tell you about Chateau and you can make, you know, you make a decision. Yeah. 
And I was like, and you said, well, you know, we're in the mountains in Utah and, and I'm looking at going to like right outside of DC. I was like, all right, <laughs> that sounds better. Check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing I think that I liked was that you, it was smaller. I'm not saying the center of excellence isn't a, a good facility. I've never been there. So I, you know, I, I have talked to people there that work there and it seems like they're, you know, they have a good program. Um, I just, you know, they have a more, they have a lot more people that, yeah. you know, they have more beds, I think 50 or yeah, something like, something that, like yeah. that. And, and it just sounded, I, I just, it's to me, it sounded more comfortable to, to be around less people. Yeah. Center for excellence, excellence is a great place. Fantastic place. Yeah. And they do great work. Um, so you ended up at Chateau now. Yeah. Uh, it was a joy right to have you but i want to jump into something that we've never covered that's something that you and i have chatted about that kind of stuck with you i want to go into what wim hof yeah has done for you yeah and and kind of where that took you yeah well i kind of i knew about wim hof um before i came out here and that was like actually that was kind of one of the things on your website was wim hof and that was like kind of one of the things that drew me because i saw that and i was like oh i i've been wanting to do this so like, um, so it was, it was, it was a, it was something that, that attracted me to, to Chateau and Roberto, uh, does the Wim Hof stuff on Saturdays. And I just remember right away, like loving the, both parts of it, like the breathing, sorry, the breathing. Um, so it's like, do you want me to kind of go into yeah. Like what it oh is. yeah. Yeah. I don't. We've never covered it. Yeah. And well, like, I don't, we haven't talked about this. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of people similar to yourself. Where yeah. Like this was something that they've taken home. Yeah. And it's not needed to be done with a therapist. Like. Yep. That's the important part of it. Yeah. So you you're basically you're hyperventilating for for like thirty to forty breaths, I think, and then you're and then you're holding your breath. And actually, while you're holding your breath, it's, I don't know, you, you get kind of an out-of-body experience. You, oh, yeah. I would call it that, yeah. Yeah, and I just, like, I, I saw stuff, like. Same. I, you know, after the breathing, they were like, did you, what, what, you know, how'd you feel? And I was like, I saw, like, a wolf. I don't know. I mean, it's just random. I call it a spiritual experience, <laughs> Yeah, if I'm going to be too. honest. Like, that's, yeah, that's my definition for it. If, you know, it's not a religious experience. Yeah. It's a spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, someone actually, I was, when I got back to my fire department, I was talking to someone, a firefighter that had never been here. Um, but I knew that we started talking about Wim Hof and I was like, do you do the breathing? Cause a lot of people don't do the breathing. Yeah. They just do the ice baths, which is fine. He's is like, it, Oh no, is I, it fine? Though? Cause like <laughs> the breathing is a major part of it yeah, and part yeah. of that experience. I said, do you do the breathing? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, he said something like, if I could bottle that and sell it, like, oh yeah, I'd be a millionaire. millionaire. Yeah, yeah, like for sure, the best drug. <laughs> it would be the best drug out there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I don't know. You just, I just feel good after, after I do that breathing. Um, both me both physically and mentally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I firmly believe my experience was trauma leaving me. It, it was the. It was really difficult to actually put words to, uh, such an out-of-body experience. But, uh, I remember opening my eyes and Roberto said, kept saying, push harder, push harder. Yeah. And next thing you know, I've got something crazy going on. 
and it was wild. That was my favorite part of the week. I, you oh, know, yeah. and, and I couldn't wait, you know, yeah. and, and I would talk to Roberto about it. I was, you know, I'd, I'd be asking him like, cause I know that he does it outside of here. He does it. And mm-hmm. he goes like to the river, oh, yeah. hikes mountain shirtless, yeah. all that shit. Yeah. And yeah. so I, you know, and, and, uh, and then we go outside and we do the, the ice baths and I just, I don't know. I just, I loved sitting in that ice. Didn't you set the record or something like no, that? No, that was, that was someone that was here with me. Okay. Um, he, I don't know. He was in there for like a half an hour or something, oh, but gross. I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't ever <laughs> feel, I don't, I never, when I get into the ice bath, I never feel uncomfortable. I just feel, it feels I don't know. It feels good. Yeah. You know, ice bath thing is becoming quite popular. I know. Um, I, I really feel like Joe Rogan kind of uh, had a, a foundational point to really move that forward. Yep. You see a lot of people doing it now, um, but I think a little bit of it is lost in this breathing piece. Uh, yeah. Where, where you know, obviously there's you know research and statistical information that says here's what ice bathing does for you, but the breathing, man, just yeah. an amazing part of the. Of the Wim Hof process. Yeah. 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 I went home and do the breathing. And right when I got home, I, I was like, I had plans. I'm going to go cut a hole in the ice on the yeah. lake, you know, because we oh. have. And oh, yeah. uh, I never did that. I haven't done that yet. Well, it's, I heard a story. I, I heard a story first day back. Yeah. I went and I went and jumped in the lake. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's, I think it was April. Yeah. It was cold. Didn't, was, didn't you bring a trough to the training center as well? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I was just walking around and I found a 55 gallon drum uh-huh. that they'd use. The hazmat teams would use for training, and I was like, "This is mine now." And <laughs> so I, I took this drum and I, and there was an academy going on. Yep, that's the story I heard. Yeah, yeah. and I, I walk in and I, these guys don't know me, and and I go, "Hey, uh, I need you to go draw my bath," and he's like, well, "What do you mean?" I was like, "You're gonna." there's an ice machine in the break room at training. And I was like, you're going to go f- take all the ice out of this ice machine and go put it in that barrel. And then I need you to put some water in there, like half, half full. And, uh, and so I, yeah, that's started doing ice baths at, at, at work at, at training. And those guys knew when I told them to go dry my bath, that's what they were you know supposed to go do. I is, love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a great story. Okay. So, I know that was an integral part. So let's move on to after yeah, your experience. What has worked for you? Yeah. You know, it's like, what it's, I think being here, like it's so easy to feel really good when you're here, you know, because you're, it's all you're doing and you're focusing on yourself and you're, you're not, you know, you don't have any stressors really. There's no stressors. And, and I knew like when I get home, like, it's going to be different. Obviously I'm not going to feel like this good all the time because I felt awesome, you know, while I was here and I went home and I, a lot of people say when that this is just the beginning of the work, you know? And I think that's like totally a true statement. When I went home, I, you know, I, I've had ups and downs since I got home, but I'm in, you know, a much better place. Meditation really helps a lot. And I was really physically active before I came here. Um, but you know, I I think every morning I need to, I have to work out. That's part of, that's part of what helps me feel good. Um, and then continuing with therapy and, and, you know, I, I think the meds, 
it was one of those things where I didn't want, you know, I was still kind of like fighting that, but I think I've kind of accepted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe someday, you yeah. know, but I'm not worried about it. You know, I just take them every day. And so thank you first off for saying finally it comes out of someone else's mouth other than my own of like, there's going to be shit when you go home. Yeah. That is never thought was going to be an issue. Yeah. That is. Yeah. And shit you thought was isn't because you prepared for it or, or whatever yep. it may be. Yep. Right. And it's it's very true that like this is the starting block and there is a lot of stressors that are not there, which is why it's sometimes difficult to make that transition. Yep. You know, home. So what what did you find the most difficult? Was it getting back to work? Was it relationships? Was it? Uh, yeah, it was relationships, I think. Um, work was so, I mean, as far as work goes and, you know, we can talk about it a a little bit, but when I went back to work, I was, I was uncomfortable and I didn't know what, you know, I, I started looking at the position I was in and it's, it's kind of a long story, but I, I would love to go back to the streets, but my wife works evenings and, um, it's just easier with four kids for me to be home every night. Yeah. And so I, uh, I was looking at my position as a, you know, a training officer and I was like, I don't, I didn't really, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this forever. And, and I was really upfront with, with, um, my supervisor and he's, he had mentioned that the chief was wanting to hire someone internally to, for the, the health and wellness coordinator position. And I was, you know, I contacted him and I wa- I, I let him know I wanted to put my name in the hat. And I was reluctant because I didn't feel like I was, you know, I'm just like brand new in my recovery. I'm not, you know, I, I don't have much time under my belt. I don't want to be in this position where I, I feel like, you know, I should be a, an authority mm-hmm. to it. Um, but, you know, I, I also saw an opportunity to, to help some people. So I took this position and it's not, it's a new position on our department. We had a, a lady who did it for a few months and it didn't work out with her. And so there wasn't anyone in filling the position for a while. And I I don't have a lot. I don't, it's, there's no like specific details to my job that I have to follow. I'm kind of, you're on your own. Yeah. So, um, you get to build what this position really is. Yeah. So this is your baby. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking cool, man. Yeah. I think I've gotten to a really good place, but I was up and down for a while. I, you know, and then suicidal ideation came back, you know, every once in a while and just, you know, a lot of struggles. But once I figured out my routine and, you know, kind of really dialed in my meds and my, you know, therapy and my, just a lot of my routine. Tools, a lot of tools. Yep. And what works for you. What works. Yeah. And it's for you and it's yours and it's no one else's. Yep. And this is what you figured out. Yeah. Everyone is so different. Yeah. You have to do a portion of that. Yep. Yeah. On your own. Yeah. So, um, but I'm still, I'm still out at the academy. So, and I wanted to stay out there because part of my job is it's, it's not just mental health stuff. It's, um, cancer prevention, uh, physical fitness. Yeah. You know, I could honestly have like five people working for me and I'd still wouldn't feel like I had enough help. Um, but it's just me. And so I, I run, you know, like the PT for the academies and I do, 
I did start to like really, I'm trying to build some resilience stuff into the academies. Yeah. Cause when I went through the academy and it's been like that for a while where we didn't really talk about, you know, anything other than, you know, training to be a firefighter. And so I, I did like hit a lot in the the last couple of academies. Like this is, I told my whole story and I said, you know, I'm not, not saying this is going to happen to everyone, but you know, like I, you just need to have some tools in your toolbox to deal with the stress of this job. It's not, yeah. you know, it's, it's a stressful job and I'd like to prevent some people from, you know, from going down the path that I went down and we have had suicide on our department. And honestly, like if, if I prevent, you know, a suicide, that would be the 15 years that I'm a health and wellness coordinator. If I, if I prevent someone from dying of suicide, then I consider, you know, the whole thing a success. Absolutely. One life saved is a, is a huge deal. Yeah. Like you've seen the impact of what suicide does and that's taboo word sometimes, but you've seen the impact of what it has on other people. Yep. So to be a part of the solution. Yep. Yep. Is really important. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're doing yoga like in the academies, um, once a week and I haven't quite got anyone to meditate yet but i'm thinking about (laughs) it um it's hard it's like you know it's it's not anything that's been done before and so you know guys on the street you know they're like what they're doing now they're doing yoga in the academy you know it's like you know the the fire department is and so what the fuck is this kyle guy doing (laughs) over here law law enforcement is no different yeah they're they're, the same yeah but um but i've helped a few people get out here yeah um, I have a friend that's here right now, uh, and I I started an AA group on the fire department. Um, that that was quite a bit of hard work getting that going. Um, there was pushback, or it wasn't pushback. My administration was super supportive. They just they were nervous about, you know, like if what if a captain is there and a firefighter is there and the firefighter says something like yeah. I was drunk at work yesterday. Oh, like, yeah. How is that going to be handled? And, you know, I was kind of peer support, you know, could have the same issue. I, I told them and I, I also said, like, we can what if this all day. But I think in, in the big picture, I think it's a good absolutely thing. And so eventually they I got the green light and we actually just had our first meeting, like official meeting uh, last week. So it's just it, it's in its infancy. Get? Uh, there was only four people there, but I mean, yeah, it's four more than yeah. I thought was going to show up. That's so great. Yeah. Four more than I thought, yeah. honestly, for the first one, right? Like it takes a, it takes some time. Yeah. And I, I kind of got the idea. There was a couple guys that wanted to start a meeting years ago and they didn't, they just didn't know how to go about it. And, but I, I, um, there was a guy that I met from Indianapolis that, uh, that he does the he does he runs the peer support there and he Brandon Brandon yeah yeah yep and uh he I don't know how it came up but he had mentioned that they had a meeting yeah. I think I went to their peer support training yeah. the IFF's peer support training and he was teaching local 416 man that's yeah. that's their union and they were one of the first ones really to put those meetings together yep and it, it's been super helpful. Yeah. And they, I called them and I was, 
or texted him and I just asked, you know, I was asking like, how does it, you know, do you use a 12 step? And, you know, I had a lot of questions and he answered them. He was really nice about it. And it sounds like it's a big meeting. Um, and so I, now, yeah, yeah. And it's been going on for years. Yeah. Yeah. You should, uh, talk to him about his yoga next. Yeah, he did. Well, I, I went to a conference and he, he, uh, taught some yoga and I went to one of his couple of his classes, but, um, yeah, he nice, super nice guy. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm hoping I'm just stuff like that meetings and you're making a difference, man. Okay. So we've, uh, this is such a great story. So we've, you know, we've walked through Kyle's life from literally as a child to now, like what's, what's next for Kyle? I see hope. I see joy yeah in your eyes you know you got a future in the fire because at, at one point you mentioned is this really for me yeah where, where are you going from here what are you gonna do um i honestly like my fire chief he had said like well you, you know you you're gonna do this health and wellness thing and then you're gonna get bored with it and you're gonna want to go do something else and i i completely disagree i i i really enjoy what i'm doing you're making a difference. Yeah. It's going to be your legacy. Yeah. Yeah. For real. And so I, I know there's people on the fire department that are struggling and I want to help them. I'm not trying to like pre, you know, yell from the rooftops, like you need to get help. I just yeah. want to be there in case someone does need help. And I want to try to prevent some of it from happening in the first place. Like the yoga stuff, like in the academy, like they, they, they don't have a choice. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> they have to do it's it. It's a captive audience yeah. right there. Yeah, so. But, but honestly, out of that, someone is going to stick to it. Like, someone's going to like it. You don't all have to like it and keep doing yep. it. Yep, But, you know, I mean, even here, bringing people into meditation, they're like, hell no, I'm not yeah. doing it. And I guarantee, and some of them don't when they leave. Yeah. That's fine. Yep. But then there are other people that are like. Some people don't connect with Wim Hof. Yeah. They just, that's why there's such a vast variety of uh, opportunities here at Chateau to we're going to throw everything at you and see what sticks. Yeah. When someone needs help, I think we do a very good job on in the fire department at helping people get to treatment or, Crisis you know, whatever. Yeah. Yep. And that's what our job is. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, for a living, literally for a living, that's what we do. But we haven't been very good at prevention. Yeah. So, I'd, you know, I'd like to make that, um, you know, obviously I'm going to still help people that need help. I'd li- really like to make a big part of it prevention. Yeah. Brad and I talk about that all the time. That's our next mission. Like I believe that there's starting to be really good resources for those crisis calls, uh, but it's still lacking in prevention nationally. Kyle, thank you. Yeah, of course. I, I thank really you. appreciate you. you coming Kyle, on. what an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for taking out time, time for having day me. to come in here and uh, tell us about it for sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. 
Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all-badges, all-uniforms, all-scrubs, educational experience, helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.